0: Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick Zeraris. It is late on Monday night as I am recording a heavy winter storm is barraging much of the northeast with heavy snowfall. Looking close to two feet of snow for the first time in about ten years in the area I live in Rockland County, so Naturally, in between shifts of shoveling and uh, snow blowing today, I, I spent my time uh, working on some stuff. There will be a couple of blogs this week from the Rangers' fear of things. And speaking of the Rangers, they did have a press conference around 5 o'clock on Monday afternoon to address putting Tony D'Angelo on waivers following the fight that occurred after they lost to the Penguins on Saturday night. And I am going to blog about that because I feel it's more constructive if I do it in that format because I can lay out all of the information in a clear we know this from this source so I can link to everything because I want to be accurate and it's important in a story like this where there are conflicting reports of what happened and there are additional factors from other places in the uh, universe that are claiming certain things happened and People in authority are pushing back that those instances happened. I want to be able to source everything. I want to be able to cover my butt and do my job as a journalist in this capacity to be fair to the evidence and tell the best available version of the truth. So writing is better for that than podcasting in terms of format. So that will come tomorrow. I'm recording this Monday night. This will come out Tuesday there will be a blog Tuesday on Gotham SN, which everyone should be following, where I will lay out everything we know, who's told us this, and the questions I still have about this entire situation, because there are still questions to be asked, and I'm just going to say that press conference left me with a lot more questions than it gave me answers. So all of that said, I was looking for topics to things to talk about today, and it is Super Bowl weekend. Part of this is football-related, but there's also hockey an aspect to it. There's a basketball, a baseball, a soccer, an MMA angle, a NASCAR angle even. All of this is blended together. This one episode is big-picture look at the sports world from someone who tries to consume as much as possible because they want to do the best job they can. The entire point of this podcast and the blogs I do is to help make as much complicated information as possible as digestible and easy to understand as possible. So before I get to this long-winded explainer about the uh, landscape of sports, at least one capacity of it, please help grow the show follow along on Spotify, follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, finally got Premiere working on my laptop again, so video stuff, I can start doing explainers, that will be fun, probably going to do something about the Chiefs offense, just because it's so fun to watch their highlights, and it's very inventive, and it's just really cool to watch, I'll be frank, so probably something for that for the Super Bowl, for the Friday episode of the podcast, please help grow. Our show. You guys are part of this. Join the conversation. Going to start a mailbag episode at some point not too far down the line, and mailbag episodes are fun because, you know, audience interaction. It tightens the relationship between the journalist and their audience, and it allows them to know that I care about what you guys think, and I want you guys to understand this is important we, as journalists, there is a responsibility to help the public get the best information they have so they can make actionable decisions. And yes, this is very preachy, and this sounds a lot like what I heard in my freshman journalism classes, but some of it's important, and it's part of making good ethical content for the public's consumption. Yeah. Follow along on social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram. Got to get the TikTok game going. I have yet to make a TikTok. Got to work on that. Follow if you use Spotify. Subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Rate five stars. Leave a question in your review, and I'll definitely get to it because I know I'll see it. Because, you know, we don't get a lot of reviews yet. And it is important that I do mention that a story broke in the Mets universe. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic was the one who blew it up. The two journalists on the byline are Brittany Rioli and Katie Strang of The Athletic, who reported that former Mets manager, who is now the pitching coach of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Mickey Calloway, was credibly accused of serial sexual harassment through digital means whether it was email whether it was text messages he was making female reporters uncomfortable making sexual advances towards them and persisting in doing it over long periods of time and that it was a pretty open secret that this was a known thing amongst women reporters, that Kyle had a history of making sexual advances towards women reporters, and that to watch out for him, to avoid him, and the Mets look very bad here, because if this is an open secret that a lot of people in sports media knew about it, how come the Mets weren't able to find out about it? I mean, after the Porter situation, the Jared Porter situation where he got fired because He serially, sexually harassed a journalist who ended up leaving the business. They were harassed and made to feel so uncomfortable. This does not look good for the Mets, is what I will say. Granted, I do think that part of the Mickey Calloway story breaking is that the Wilpons are no longer in charge of the Mets. And frankly, Jeff Wilpon was one of the strongest advocates of Mickey Calloway. He's the one who protected him after the 2019 season when they probably should have fired, the 2018 season, rather, when they probably should have fired him. He's the one who made the unilateral decision to hire Mickey Calloway after one meeting without seeing any other candidates or going to a second round of interviews, which is your standard practice when you're hiring a manager. And now this kind of stuff will trickle out, and the Mets issued statements condemning it because, you know, they're not his employer anymore. I assume by tomorrow afternoon, the Angels, Callaway's current employer, will be firing him, and he doesn't deserve a job in baseball. Point blank. There is a modicum of professionalism you have to maintain with the press. When you are someone in the sports world, the press are... They're not your co-workers because they don't represent the same interest as you, but there needs to be a mutual line of respect back and forth between the two parties. The journalists can't do their job if they're made to feel uncomfortable, and they the sports world needs to do a better job of protecting journalists and helping them tell the story instead of, you know, putting them in dangerous and uncomfortable situations where bad things can happen, like what happened with Mickey Calloway and several journalists, and this doesn't just touch his time in the Mets. This goes back to him, his time with the Cleveland Indians organization as their pitching coach and as a consultant. This is all very bad. Mickey Holloway will be out of baseball by the time this episode is probably being listened to if you're listening on Tuesday during the day. So that was a very long introduction. That was like eight minutes. There were a lot of rambling things in there. This is going to be a short episode, only like 30, 35 minutes, just kind of a big picture thing I was thinking about today. And it, it, Makes sense in the context of some of the stuff that's in the news right now. So I'll see you guys in one second. And with that, we'll just jump right into it. This is a long form stream of consciousness series of thoughts about this era of player empowerment, and the role of the athlete in society today, because there is more access to everything than at any point in human history. Most of the population on the planet Earth has access to, you know, all of recorded history with a couple of taps on their smartphone. There is an abundance of information for everyone, this means the people in organizations, the decision makers, the players, the business interests who have to decide how to spend their money in in the sports universe, whether it's partnerships, it's branding opportunities, and then for the journalists out there to help form opinions and tell stories, and of course for the fans to decide what they do, because it it does kind of get lost in translation sometimes, but... For all of the passion that goes into the undying loyalty of being a sports fan, at some point your team is selling you a good or service, and they owe you some respect, some decency, and to not embarrass you, and all of this flows into how players feel about themselves in this big picture world, because there are a lot of things we can talk about. We can talk about things like Matthew Stafford deciding that, you know what, Detroit, they've got a new general manager, they've got a new head coach, they clearly want to start from scratch. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Can you guys help me get to a good landing spot? And the Lions obliged him. They traded him to the Rams, who are a pretty legitimate Super Bowl contender. I'd say I still have questions about them in a big game situation because the limitations of McVay's offense against teams who know what they like to do, because they are predictable. I and This isn't going to be your typical episode where I'm going to talk about being predictable, being efficient, using early downs to pass, all of that. This is all big picture stuff, but the Rams are a, a reasonable Super Bowl contender in the NFC. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as Dan Orlovsky and say they're the favorites to win the NFC now because they got Matt Stafford. I don't think Matt Stafford is that big of an upgrade from Jared Goff. He's definitely an upgrade, but it's like going from a C-minus to a B-plus. I'd say probably like a C-minus to a B-minus. Stafford is good, but he doesn't really have the crazy flashes you thought you would see from someone like him coming out of Georgia, who everybody always thought he was pretty good. He had a few nice seasons in there. He threw for a lot of yards on some pretty bad teams the luxury of throwing to Calvin Johnson for a while, which is pretty nice. But in the landscape of player empowerment, I think, ultimately, we can trace this thread of player empowerment back to LeBron James and the decision in 2010 when he decided to leave the Cavaliers and go to the Heat. That was a moment in time that changed the landscape of sports forever, because LeBron was the best player in the world at the time, and him opting to leave the team that drafted him to pursue legacy-oriented things instead of team-oriented things was a watershed moment in the sports world because it was the first real step in the players seizing the means of production. Not to go full comrade on you, but the players are the asset here. I, I understand that organizations view the players as interchangeable, that whatever, we just want to try and win and make as much money as possible. Right, so it depends on the team. Some teams want to make as much money as possible, and if they win along the way, so be it. Not not the point. Circling back. LeBron leaving set the template where players felt, at some point, if my team continues to fail me, continues to let me down, and not put me in a position to succeed... I should be able to go somewhere that is going to put me in a position to succeed and allow me to maximize my talents. And it's why guys like Deshaun Watson are able to go through the media and let their desire to be traded known to the world so that they can get an understanding of how the player feels. And this is something that would not have happened 20 years ago, 15 years ago, where if someone demanded a trade, it wouldn't get out. But now, because guys have access to so much information, they're able to make better decisions about their careers and their livelihoods. And it's a good thing. I know there is some bemoaning from people about guys putting themselves before the team. And yes, I understand that these are team sports and that at a fundamental level, a group of guys will never beat a team. And it's one of the problems in this universe where... These guys are younger than ever because teams don't like to hold on to older players because they're a market inefficiency, they cost more than they're worth, and because of salary controls, younger guys are always going to be paid less than older guys. They are not too dissimilar from, you know, the people my age. They go on Twitter because they're bored during the day and they're in a pandemic and there's nothing else to do they go on Instagram. They see other people doing things. You don't think Deshaun Watson went on Instagram or Twitter at some point in the last month or two and saw, you know, Justin Herbert getting a head coach like Brandon Staley, who was going to put him in a position to succeed. You think he's seen some of the other guys around the league get better treatment because they were vocal about what they wanted? I mean, this is a little bit of a unique situation with Watson because the Texans are a very weirdly run organization is how I'll put it to be polite, frankly. Um, the president of a football operations, um, Jack Easterby, is not someone with a football background. He has experience as a team chaplain with the New England Patriots. He was a morale consultant at the uh, University of South Carolina's basketball program. And frankly, he just talked a lot with Cal McNair, the uh, owner of the Texans. And McNair liked his personality. He knew he had experience with the Patriots as, you know, the team chaplain. And made him the president of football operations. And it's led to all of these weird things over the last two, three years with that organization. Where it was Easterby who wanted to trade... DeAndre Hopkins uh, two years ago when the Cardinals traded for him now. It'll be about, no, a year ago, yeah, about a year ago. It was early last summer. But it was Easterby who wanted to get Hopkins out of there because of a weird personal agenda, and I'm not going to really get too deeply into this. There's a very important Sports Illustrated story that was written about a month ago that goes in-depth on Easterby and tells a lot of the background that goes into the situation. But Easterby and the Texans, they hired an outside consulting firm to hire the next general manager of the Texans, and at some point, someone with the Texans, whether it was McNair or Easterby, told Deshaun Watson that he would be part of that process, that he might not get to pick the general manager, but he would have a little bit of input as to whether or not they could work together, and the Texans did not hire someone, their consulting firm, recommended them hire. They hired Nick Casario because Jack Easterby knows Nick Casario because Nick Casario was in New England's front office, and Deshaun was not let into that situation, and he wasn't aware that Easterby was going to hire Casario until it happened, frankly, which is kind of shocking, you would think, that the team president didn't let his, you know, face of the franchise know. And then... Watson let it be known that he wanted the Texans to interview Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy for the vacant head coaching job and they didn't request an interview with Eric Bieniemy till after the wild card uh, the uh, divisional round of the playoffs, excuse me, which meant that the Texans couldn't interview Bieniemy till after the Super Bowl because, you know, they play every week and then the vacant week for the bye week, they're practicing for the Super Bowl. You can't be worrying about going to job interviews in that sense. I mean, in a pandemic world, you probably could have made it work, but the Texans didn't ended, end up even getting an interview with the enemy and they hired someone I had never heard of before. And frankly, I watch and I read more about football than like anyone reasonably should. Like I'm just laying in bed imagining hypothetical coaching staffs all of the time for different NFL teams and college programs. And I'd never heard of David Culley. I'll I'll be frank with you. I know that when the Texans hired David Culley, Rich Eisen, who has a national radio show, went went through his resume year by year because David Culley's been in coaching since the early 70s, and this is his first head coaching job ever. And he's going into a situation where the best player on his team, Deshaun Watson, doesn't want to be there because Deshaun Watson has access to the magic of the internet, and he can see that there are other teams out there who know what they're doing, and are going to listen to their players and empower their players to do better, and it's frustrating, and it's why Watson wants out. So, now that I've kind of gotten the Watson storyline out there, I've talked a little bit about the Matthew Stafford thing, the point I really want to hit here is that these sports have gone through exponential growth in not that long. Today, I was watching The Dan Patrick Show while I was doing research for a blog I was writing, and in this day, in 1994, Barry Bond signed the richest contract in MLB history for yearly salary. That was $4 million, and that was 25 years ago. My trout makes almost $40 million a year. We are talking about legitimate exponential growth in not that long, and a lot of that is tied to tv revenue because the jump in whether it's the cost of advertising or the bundling of cable where certain channels get extra money tacked onto your cable bill every month that are part of your subscriber fee and that is why the leagues have had such exponential revenue growth and it's why the nba had a salary cap jump of 20 million dollars in a single offseason And why they were able to sign Kevin Durant, who is another person in this thread of a player using their talents as a means to pursue the best possible outcome for their career. Instead of just accepting misery and going through a Barry Sanders or a Calvin Johnson type career with one organization where it never gets right. Because the people at the top just don't know how to run a football team. So. All of that tied together. Transitioning a little bit now, I want to talk how this impacts organizations. Because organizations are obviously the power brokers. These are the people who can cut the players, trade the players, get rid of the coaches. All of this goes through a mutual, there's a mutual song and dance here. Players, associations, and owners, and their competing interests owners want to maximize their profits because they are running a business. These players, some of them, it isn't just about the money. It is a job. There are some guys who don't really love what they do, but because they have the physical tools, they're in a good situation, they do it because it's a means to an end. And I know that sounds wild to say about professional athletes, but there are guys who just, they do it because they can. And there are the guys who want to make their money, but they care about their legacy. They want to be respected. They want all of the things that come with making the Hall of Fame, with winning championships, with getting rings. And it's one of the weirder things about this entire discourse is that for some players, it's not about just winning rings. Because at this point, Kevin Durant's paper resume is as good basically as anyone in his caliber of player. I mean, He doesn't have the same number of rings as Braun or Kobe or Jordan, of course, but he got two. He probably should have gotten three. If he doesn't tear his Achilles in the Raptors series, they they dispatched the Raptors in five games, six games, maybe. I mean, it took the Raptors seven games to win without KD on the floor. So, yeah, Durant's playing. Warriors probably win that, and that's three. And then Durant... I come to accept that Durant is just a little bit different than everyone else, and that's okay. And, yes, as a Knicks fan, I am frustrated he is not on the Knicks, but he chose to go to the Nets with Kyrie because he wanted people to stop talking shit about him. As much as I make fun of Bill Simmons now, the Ky- the Kevin Durant post-championship se- podcast series he did with Simmons is one of the more illuminating things I've ever listened to as a consumer of sports news and someone who's trying to make their way into the sports universe as a journalist, as a content creator, because it really gave me insight into how a player thinks. And it's something that is sorely missed from a lot of the day-to-day news coverage that we see in the sports world, where I want to understand the process that goes into all of this. I want to understand how you're mentally preparing to be able to what you do, do what you did in practice that day. I want to understand how, okay, Kevin Durant saw a couple of people reply to one of his tweets calling him a ring chaser and that he, eh, it was never his team, it was Steph's team. And to some degree, he took that personally and It made him feel like his championships were worth less than a championship someone won on their own. And it's because, going back to that information, there is more conversation about sports than ever before. There is a 24-hour news cycle to fill. The talking heads need things talk about. You see it with the Super Bowl coverage. They are already trying to define Patrick Mahomes' legacy as a football player three years into his career. Three years as a starter in the NFL, and the media entities that be are trying to define who Patrick Mahomes will be for the rest of his life after three seasons because they need to fill airtime. And it's a toxic relationship at points with how the media treats. i i will say the national sports media treats certain players especially in the basketball and football universes because they are so featured they are so heavily featured on the talking head shows on the major sports networks whether you talk about espn you talk about fox cbs the major podcasting platforms everybody has to have a take now you have to have an opinion about everything because you're the grand sports are, whether it's Cowherd pretending he knows things, whether it was Mike Francis on FAN in New York, whether you're talking about Evan Roberts and Craig Carton now, you're talking about Bill Simmons, there are a lot of people out there who say they are watching as much as humanly possible to give you their best opinion possible, and you can tell very quickly that that's not the case. Watch an episode of First Take and listen to the things that Stephen A., Max Kellerman, whether it's Ryan Clark, whether it's Kendrick Perkins, what they said. When they start talking about, you know, things like wanting it more, the, this guy just has it in him to be great, this guy's a killer, this guy's a bad man. Yeah, those are nice sound bites that track well that you can put it on Twitter and Instagram, but it's not helping anyone understand what they're seeing anymore. A perfect example. I was watching. Around the horn in the background while I was writing something earlier on Monday afternoon, and I had to turn it off because of the just empty platitudes I was hearing from legacy journalists. People like Jackie McMullen, who I've watched on that show since I was in third grade. I remember watching Jackie McMullen, the now disgraced Jay Mariotti, Woody Page, and Tim Kalishaw in like 2004 2005 as a child, and thinking, wow, these guys know everything. Now I'm, you know, 23, about to turn 24 years old, and I can't listen to the empty platitude talk anymore just because I read, I can tell I read more stuff and watch more stuff than these people because, you know, they're professional journalists. If you are on a beat or you are a columnist, you have one job. It is to tell that story on that beat. So when people like that, or people like Stephen A., people like Max Kellerman, go on the Talking Head shows, and they just go on and on about these points, and it's inherently confrontational on purpose, because those are the kind of clips that generate interactions on social media, which is what they're going for, it pollutes the dialogue, and it frames conversations in a way that some players feel like they have to go out and do things that they might not normally do, and it will force them to change how they interact with the teams, the fans, that kind of thing. It is a good thing that players are taking more agency and trying to dictate how their talents are used and how they're marketed, and it leads to Guys having an active social media presence, whether you want to talk about Kevin Durant replying to people because he he thinks they're dumb and it's funny, or you want to talk about people who take that too far. People like Trevor Bauer, who are soliciting multi-year, $100, 200000000 million plus contracts and have a history of using social media to single out, to harass, and to bully people because they have the access to all of this information. Trevor Bauer thinks he's one of the five best pitchers in baseball, and he's going to point at his statistics from his season with the Reds this past year as his reason for doing so. And there's more information than ever for Trevor Bauer to make that agenda. And yet, with all that information, he still wasn't able to leave well enough alone and to just grow up. And it's frustrating because you see these guys in every sport who have all the talent in the world and they just never get it. And it's they're interesting. And it's an episode for another day. I do want to try and get a sports psychologist to talk about the phenomena of the, the public. I'll say the public nuisance. Whether you want to talk about someone like Albert Bell in baseball back in the day. Who was just outwardly confrontational with, with the press. You want to talk about someone like Tony D'Angelo or Trevor Bauer. Who spends a lot of time on social media and tries to cultivate their following as a personality on top of being an athlete and where that comes from and that kind of thing. But big picture, what does players having more control over their careers do for teams? Number one, at least in theory, it should make teams better run and more competent because if guys can get out and get traded or go where they to better landing spots, And you end up with situations where teams go through these prolonged periods of failure where guys don't get second contracts with the organizations that draft them. And it leads to a long-term down period, whether you want to talk about organizations like the Giants, the Jets, the Seahawks, that haven't drafted particularly well the last few years. And there's a lot of roster turnover. They draft guys they don't put them in a position to succeed, they don't develop, and those guys go on to other teams and get second contracts and try and salvage their careers in other places. And pretty quickly, you're going to start seeing this more and more in other sports as these market inefficiencies continue to dry up, and you start seeing things that are crib noted from other sports, where I was just listening to the Ringer NFL show, and they were talking about how the Matthew stafford Jared Goff trade is something from the NBA. It was a salary dump for the Rams. They got out from under Jared Goff's contract, and it cost them. They had to give up an extra first-round pick that other teams were willing to offer to get rid of Goff's contract to get Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford was not worth two first-round picks and an additional pick. He's probably worth, like, a two, a five, maybe a two, three, and five if you want to be aggressive, but Two ones and a three is because they had to get rid of Goff's contract, and that's a sh- something straight out of the NBA. The salary dump has been a thing in the NBA for a long time, and it's something that we were seeing more and more in baseball. Nolan Arenado was a salary dump from the Rockies to the Cardinals. Robinson Cano was a salary dump to the Mets. Yes, the Mets gave up prospects in a salary dump. That's how bad of a general manager Brody Van Wagner was. All of this is related to each other. All of these leagues are dealing with a more informed and a better prepared player base than ever before. And these guys taking advantage of their situations and either A, thriving and doing better where they are, or getting to that greener pasture to have that success is a good thing for sports as a whole. The more good players there are, the better. The more good players there are, the more good teams there are. The more good teams there are, the more enjoyable the experience is as a fan. There were there have been periods in every single league, not too far in recent past, where it only seemed like three teams, four teams in the whole league could win a championship. And say what you will about the NBA and its parity issues, but. I'm pretty compelled with the NBA right now. There, Yeah, there's a clear class of, like, three, four teams that could actually win the title. But the rest of the league isn't, like, bad. Like, there were some years in the NFL where, like, you know, the Bears' Colts' Super Bowl was a joke. I mean, the Patriots' team, the Colts beat on the way to the Super Bowl. The Steelers' team, the Colts beat on their way there. The Saints' team that the Bears beat inefficiencies is what I will say because I could go on and on about how bad some organizations were and how the league just kind of never stepped in and got things rolling in certain places that it probably should have and yes this is very big picture this is very abstract this is very obviously me thinking and I've wanted to talk about this player empowerment for a while I've written about it a number of times over the years and how it relates to hockey, and how hockey can utilize this better, because hockey has struggled to effectively build stars in the United States since Wayne Gretzky retired, essentially, because the NHL doesn't have much of a national media presence in the U.S. because the TV rights holder is NBC, who, yes, NBCSN is a channel, but they don't do a lot of original content beyond live sports, ESPN, and Fox. They have 24-hour networks that do original content. Yes, a lot of it is just talking head shows, but there aren't talking head shows on NBC aside from the pregame and postgame for hockey and soccer. For hockey to get some semblance of a foothold in the United States, it needs to start building individual players instead of focusing on the teams. And player empowerment is a good thing. Connor McDavid gets tired of the Oilers never giving him a competent team, and he demands a trade. That would be the biggest deal in, in that would be the biggest deal in sports for someone in my perspective who really pays attention to every sport as much as humanly possible. And it might get 30 seconds on SportsCenter, a minute and a half on SportsCenter. They're always going to be talking about the NFL and the NBA until they have a vested interest in the NHL. Wrapping up here, about 35 minutes of me rambling between the introduction and this thread on player empowerment. The last thing I want to touch on before I let everyone go and get to uh, reading my uh, blog about the uh, Rangers press conference and Tony D'Angelo. We, as consumers, as fans, as journalists, It's just you know, concerned citizens, we deserve better from our institutions towards our our interests. And like we're sports world, owners owe everything to the players. Nobody pays money to see an owner. Nobody pays money to see an owner. No one cares that James Dolan owns the Knicks and Rangers. No one paying money because they want to see James Dillon dribble a basketball or ice skate and try and score goals. They're paying money because they have a vested interest in the teams. The teams are what matters, and you don't have a team if you don't have players. That's why I've never understood labor players getting unfairly treated in players association negotiations, whether when you want to talk about collective bargaining, I've never understood how the owners are able to drive the narrative that the players are overpaid because the owners are the hundred millionaires and billionaires who own the teams. If you can't afford to pay your players, you don't have to own a sports team. You could sell your team whenever you want. You get your money back. The value of franchises have got nothing but gone up over the last 30 years. And, owners are still crying poverty. Like I said not too long ago in this episode, Barry Bonds was getting four million dollars a year in like 1994 and that was a big deal. They went and locked out the players the second half of the 1994 season and there was no World Series in 1994 for the first time since I think it was 1903 where there hadn't been a World Series and it's you start to put things into perspective and you realize just how much BS there is in the sports world. Yes, we say we come to the sports world to not deal with our own problems for escapism. And pretty quickly, if you're an informed consumer, you realize that the institutions in sports are not much different from the institutions in politics and the business world, where they're telling you one thing out of one side of their mouth, but they're leaking to another person to tell you this because this is their interest and they want to represent that. And it's a bit disheartening, it's a bit frustrating as a fan when you start to realize that your team is no different than, you know, like Exxon, or Chase, or Goldman Sachs, and at the end of the day, they're just looking out for themselves, and if they can do some good along the way, so be it, and it sucks. And it sucks when you see guys get put in bad situations, and it sucks when you see teams give guys who don't deserve those chances additional opportunities to try and figure it out. And, yes, that that is a subtle... The Rangers gave Tony D'Angelo 100 chances, and this is arbitrarily the 100th chance. And they said, well, we're done with you because you started a fight, even though he's been up and down for two and a half, three years. He's been with the team. All of that, all of that, all of that said, I'm still going to wake up tomorrow, put on sports Center. put on the NFL Network on both screens while I'm writing and planning out tomorrow's episode of the podcast to talk about the Detroit Lions and where they go post-Matthew Stafford. This is important. The sports world has important stories to tell, and the fan part of it is a part that is too often overlooked, and how we as fans and consumers are entitled to better. Part of that is realizing that the players are what's important here, and I know that goes against every fiber of hockey and baseball where, you know, it's the team, the team, the team. The teams are nothing without the guys on them, and the guys on them need to be put in a position to succeed, and organizations need to stop Just bullshitting, man. At the end of the day, they leak their agendas just like anyone else does. Just like politicians do, just like business interests do. And we just flat out deserve better. I will get you guys out of there. On that note, Lions episode tomorrow. Don't know what Thursday's gonna be. Probably a little bit Super Bowl- Probably Super Bowl tactics, matchups, takeaways from the first game, and then Friday's just going to be straight up, let's get down to business, who we think's going to win and why, and a little bit of a, wow, Patrick Mahomes is already this good, and wow, let's give Tom Brady his due. We're not tearing people down, unless they deserve it. If they deserve it, we will tear them down, but... There's no need to turn this into a Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes thing. Both are great in their own right. And yes, I say that as someone who dislikes Tom Brady. It's fun. I will see you guys tomorrow.